This is episode 11 or episode 4 of season 2 of the Speech with Alex Tricolo podcast. I am your host Alex and I am a speech pathologist and mum of three. I am here to bring you speech pathology topics every week and keeping them very short and sweet because I know that you are busy mums and dads or grandmas and you don't have a lot of time on your hands. So this is my way of just giving you access to easy to understand information that is in a really short and sharp episode and just hopefully sets you on the right path that you need for your child's speech journey. So let's dive in. This episode is about lisps. If you've ever met a speech pathologist or you know a speechy, you will know that one of the most common questions that we get when people aren't that familiar with speechies is, oh, so you just treat lisps and stutters, right? And yes, we do treat lisps and stutters, but I think for those who know speechies, you know that we treat a lot more than lisps and stutters. But we don't want to take away from the importance of working on a lisp or a stutter if your child is presenting with one of these. As I mentioned in the stuttering episode, it's really important that you get onto stuttering as quickly as possible. Lisps is a little bit different because there are several different types of lisps. So in this episode, I'm going to go through some of the types of lisps and when you should be concerned. So let's have a look. There are some different types of lisps. The classic lisp that most of you are familiar with is what we call an interdental lisp. And this is where the tongue tip, the tip of the tongue sticks out between their teeth uh, right out the front. And this results in what is almost like a TH sound for those who are English speaking. And it can occur on more than just the s sound. So classically, we would think that a lisp is only on the s or the s sound. Uh, however, it can occur on many, many different sounds, including sounds like z, t, d, n, sh, ch, and there are a few more. So keep an, a really close eye, not only on what you're hearing, but also on what you are seeing in your child's mouth. What is their tongue doing? What is their jaw doing? And how is that all translating to the way that they speak? Because as you can imagine, if they are lisping on multiple sounds, that can be really affecting the overall intelligibility of what they are saying. So when, we, when it comes to a speech pathologist making decisions around whether to treat something or not, we take lots of factors into consideration. So even though the general recommendation is to treat a lisp around four, I'm going to be really vague about that. Uh, the thing is that if it is really significantly affecting your child's life, then we can treat earlier. If your child has the ability to work on sounds earlier and has really good awareness of sounds in words, then we can treat earlier. If you really want to work on it and you want to pay a private speechy to work on it really early, then you can work on it earlier. And there are actually approaches where speech pathologists will work on more complex sounds um, at an earlier age. And this is a really effective strategy for many children. So, in saying that, 
there isn't as much of a rush to rush in and get a lisp sorted but I want you to look at the bigger picture. I'm going to go through that in a little moment because I just want to talk through another type of lisp. But stay tuned because I want to talk to you about your child's whole system and how that might be affected by what you might think is a simple lisp. Now we do have another type of lisp and that is called a lateral lisp. So a lateral lisp is where the air is actually flowing the wrong way. So when we make our sound, for example, many of us will place the tip of our tongue behind our top or bottom teeth. We don't quite place them on the teeth. Some of you might, and this is totally fine. However, the majority of us place them on the gummy bit just behind the top or bottom teeth. If it's up the top, it's what we call the alveolar ridge. You can feel there's a little bony ridge uh, behind your top teeth. Um, So that could be one placement, another one is down the bottom. But the thing is that it's not just about where your tongue goes, but it's where the air flows. So when you make a sound, your tongue does this amazing thing and it lifts up the sides of your tongue, almost like butterfly wings to seal off the sides of your uh, mouth by pushing up those sides of your tongue against your teeth and that makes the air flow centrally crisply down the center of your tongue and so that is how we really achieve that sound and there's even more steps to it but they are the really two important things that I want you to think about what is the tongue doing and where is the air flowing Now, if you are getting lots of saliva spitting out or you are hearing a really uh, lateral sound or you're hearing a palatal sound, then we are not quite achieving the airflow that we want in that really crisp central way um, and we're probably not achieving correct tongue placement either. So... I actually highlighted two lisps there, Um, but I want to give you an example of what the lateral lisp might sound like in a word. So if you think of a word, let's say seed, when I make my sound accurately, I'm saying seed. When I make an interdental lisp, that interdental tongue posture, it sounds like this, feed, which is not far off, but I think you can hear the difference. And when I have a lateral posture or a lateral airflow, this is what it sounds like. Sheed, sheed. And that's without a lot of spit or saliva kind of coming out. Sometimes it can sound extremely wet and slushy. So if you're hearing a really wet lateral airflow, then this is one that we would like you to get sorted earlier rather than later. And it tends to typically be affecting more than just one sound. It tends to be something that sort of is characteristic of their speech. You really notice it as a pattern when they speak. So there are a couple of other lisps. One of them I kind of hinted at, and that is a palatal lisp. And another one is a dental lisp. A dental lisp is where the tongue is really pushing against those teeth, the backs of the teeth. 
And so it sounds similar to the interdental posture and it can sometimes sound similar to the lateral posture. For you as a parent, diagnosing this is really not essential. But what I really want you to be thinking about is, are you noticing a lot of saliva? Are you noticing a really slushy airflow that seems to be flowing out the sides or it's just not a crisp sound? Is their speech really efficient and working well? Are you understanding what they are saying? Does your child feel affected by it in any way? Are they getting frustrated? Are they embarrassed? Or any other way that they might be affected? Are they avoiding certain words because of the lisp? And then that leads me into some other things that I want you to consider when your child has a lisp. And actually, I'd love you to consider these things for your children all the time. So some other considerations we really want to be thinking about is number one, the anatomy. Some people have a lisp that is a result of the way that their jaw, their teeth or their tongue is structured and functioning. So when we look at all of the structures, we look at not only the way they are structured or whether they are sort of in alignment or if they're accurately positioned. Um, and there is a huge degree of normal when it comes to this. But we also look at, some, at the function of that thing. We look at the function of the jaw, the function of the tongue. Um, and the function of the teeth and are they all working in unison together so sometimes when a child has a lisp you might end up with a referral to an ENT or a dentist or an orthodontist depending on what your specialist whether it be a GP or already a speechy what they are thinking about your uh, child's mouth structures we also want to be looking at other speech issues. Are you noticing there are other patterns happening? Are you noticing that it's inconsistent and comes and goes? Are you noticing that it tends to be only when they're sick? Are they stuttering? Uh, do they have language issues as well in terms of learning vocabulary? Um, and yeah, just thinking in general about their whole speech system, all of the sounds that they're saying, and is the lisp really an isolated thing that's occurring or is there lots of things happening? Another one is breathing. Your breathing is essential for speech, as you can imagine. We need to have air flowing out of our lungs, up through our air pipe, over our vocal cords, we need all our vocal folds to be working properly and the air to then be shaped by our mouth and our tongue and everything in our mouth. Um, because really, it's an instrument. It's, a, it's like a pipe instrument that we then shape the sound with our mouth. So we aren't just looking at what's happening in their mouth, but also what's happening with their breathing. And something to keep an eye out for is mouth breathing or snoring or any type of breathing that doesn't seem like a typical mouth closed kind of breath. We also want to be looking at your child's sleep because sleep can be heavily affecting your child's development in general if it isn't effective or if there are other things happening. 
So the thing with sleep is that sleep can be uh, affecting things. So if you have if your child's having a poor sleep, then then it could be affecting their development and their learning. However, uh, their sleep could be affected by issues that they might be having in terms of structure and function of their breathing and their mouth and everything and their nose and everything to do with sleep. So it's really important to be thinking about their whole system because sleep can be a sign that there is something going on and it can also be a cause of something going on. Uh, so we, it's, it's really quite complex and we need to look at lots of aspects of sleep. Of course, we would also love to know if your child is still finger or thumb or dummy sucking because, of course, anything that is in your child's mouth for an extended period of time is affecting the way that their mouth moves and the way that their mouth is situated and the postures it can do. So if there is a dummy in your child's mouth for a really extended period of time, and I keep saying that because it really is uh, affected by extended use. So if it's in their mouth all night and then again all day, then they're not going to be able to achieve the tongue postures they need to be able to make the sounds. And this goes for finger and thumb sucking as well. So definitely something to get onto if uh, they're under four and you are really starting to stress about these sounds there may be some other things to be addressed first or in unison together. And another question I get asked a lot about is parental lisps um, or family members who have lisps around them. Something to keep in mind is that, of course, like I mentioned, some people have a lisp that either is structural and they have trouble actually achieving the correct positions for the sounds or it is developmental and it's something that they had as a child and it's really hard to change these things as an adult. Um, however, there are also languages and dialects where lisp, a lisped sound uh, is not actually a, a problem, it's not an issue, it's actually part of their language or disorder. So it's not actually considered a lisp, it's just a considered a sound that has a interdental posture, a bit like our um, lots of our Spanish sounds like Barcelona, uh, which has that uh, sound which is actually meant to be produced with an interdental tongue posture. So that is something to really be considering. Uh, the thing with our lisps is that typically children's mouths want to do what is the most efficient. So if they have the capacity to make that sound, many children will learn it on their own because it's more efficient than sticking your tongue out all the time. Uh, and same goes for lateral. However, lateral lisps can be harder for kids to work out how to fix on their own. And not all kids will work it out. Um, especially if they spend a lot of time with you and it's the only example that they have. Um, they will assume that that is the accurate way to say those sounds. So it's not something to really agonize over as a parent or blame yourself for if you have a lisp and you are worrying about your child's speech. Keep a close eye on it and if you have concerns then jump on a wait list and make sure that you are just following up and, and putting your child on the right path. 
And that actually brings me to a comment I want to make that it isn't essential to treat a lisp. If you are okay with the lisp and your child is okay with the lisp and it's not really something that bothers you or that you feel needs to change or it has become a really strong part, an important part of your child's identity, then you don't have to treat it. And no one can force you to treat something when it's part of your identity or it's something that you really like or something that you just don't want to change. So I just wanted to mention that because I've worked with many families over the years who have chosen that, that it is an important part of their child's identity and it's not something that they want to change. So that is a really important consideration to make as well. So I hope that gives you lots of uh, thought, lots of things to think about. <laughs> um, of course, the question is still going to be, okay, sure, Alex, all of this information, but when should I be referring? When should I be getting on a wait list? Typically, we are expecting that sound to be accurate by the age of four to five. So we really want our four-year-olds to be getting referred with wait lists the way they are currently. I am encouraging everybody to jump on that wait list just a little bit earlier, especially if you are applying for public services in your state that you're in. Um, and I know that many private speeches have wait lists as well. So getting onto it a little earlier cannot hurt. Uh, and if by the time you get to the top of that wait list, then they've fixed it themselves, then that's awesome. And if they haven't, then how awesome you're at the top of the wait list instead of starting at the bottom um, a year down the track. Now, when it comes to tips for at home, something that I want to encourage you to do is to make sure that you aren't practicing the lisp, as in... You aren't sitting down to do some practice or an activity where you want to work on the sound and your child yet doesn't yet have the ability to say the sound and you cannot, no matter what you try, seem to get your child to make that accurate sound. Then don't sit down and do lots of practice or drilling based activities because your child is only practicing and reinforcing that position which can make speech therapy a whole lot harder once they get to it so what I my main tip is to make sure that go back to the beginning of this episode have a listen to the posture that the tongue needs to be in to achieve the accurate sound and then see if you can achieve it with your child if you can't give it a break for a little bit don't keep forcing it and that way you can head towards uh, seeing if you can get to a point where they can make that sound and then do activities to work on it. Of course, my main tip with speech is always recasting for parents at home. So recasting is a correction strategy where you don't interrupt the natural conversational flow. So you're not stopping them and saying, hey, let's try that again um, and stopping the whole beautiful conversation you were just having. We honour that conversation, we keep it flowing and if your child says something with a lisp or with another sound that um, shouldn't have been in that word, let's say your child says, oh mum, I see a, a dog over there. 
we can say, oh, I see a dog too. Yeah, I can see him. I can see he has black spots. So when I've recasted just then, I'm keeping that conversational flow. I'm honoring what they said. I'm not stopping them. I'm not making them say it again. And I am trying to say that word accurately myself three times. And what you'll notice is I didn't say, it's not fee. You don't say fee. You need to say see. Because all I want their brain to hear and see is the accurate tongue posture and the accurate sound coming out of what I'm saying. So that is my absolute number one tip that I always talk about, recasting. So let me know if you decide to give this strategy a go. I would love to hear how you go. And if you are feeling a little stuck, feel free to get in touch with me on Instagram. My Instagram is at speech with Alex Tricolo, the same name as this podcast. And I hope to see you or hear, have you in <laughs> for me to be in your ears again next week with my next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to subscribe if you've really enjoyed this episode. That way you get a notification if I release another episode. Bye.